Next up, a brand new episode of Double Feature. Is this Michael Kessler? Hello, yeah. Who am I speaking to? My name is Eric 13. Okay. This is Double Feature? What about that? That's crazy. I've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> no, no, I know you're not trying to do that because uh, put yourself in the mindset of you just moved to Chicago. You're like 20, right? You're in... Oh, why are people mm-hmm. texting me on the feed? Oh, my God. All right. Interrupting my, my joke. Point is, I don't drive. I know, but your car's extended warranty... Uh, it needs to be renewed. The thing. It feels good. I was talking to somebody today about not having a car in New York. It feels very good. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't get anywhere. Uh, I can't store anything. And I have nowhere to sleep if I get evicted. So. Yeah. Outside I of love those. the idea of not I'm, having cars. I think. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I think it's great. We have city bike. I love it. I want to I abolish cars. I abolish cars. Big dig USA wide. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, did you see that meme that went around that was like, uh, look at these beautiful cities, why, why don't we build cities like this anymore? Mm, no, but I assume it's because highways yeah, uh, ruin everything. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have to worry about headroom on this phone call? Do I turn you up, turn you down? Here's what I'm not going to do mean, this time. I'm not going to hit As me. long as you have max headroom... We should be good, you know? Did you like, see, as long as you have Matt, 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 Matt's headroom. Did you it see they're fine. doing new Max headroom? Yeah. <laughs> of course they are, because there's nothing under the sun that they won't suck the lifeblood out of. Uh, maybe that's where the money is. There's more Max headroom. Maybe that's what the public wants. Maybe Gen Z needs more Max headroom. That'll set them straight. So, the reason I'm calling is I saw this movie. It starts with a K, and I can't pronounce it. Well, come on. If you can't pronounce it after watching it, we're going to have trouble because it's the only word in the whole movie. (laughs) Look, I I didn't... uh, I promised this would be low fidelity. I didn't promise it would still have content. No, you're talking about... It's called uh, Koyaniskasi. Yeah, there is even a pronunciation guide, I think, at the end. Fuck that, dude. You just listen... Think of it... Imagine that your throat is a natural didgeridoo and you just go, Koya. I'm not sure if that's racist or not. I feel like I I think I managed to dodge it because I don't think that Koyaniskasi is an aboriginal word. But if it is, then I fucked up. Yeah, if I uh, throw that in the internet right now and it's a bunch of people on didgeridoos, (laughs) we're going to have to have a word. Because I'm not editing this. This is the uncensored show you get. Yeah. Um, When there's no narrative, there's no censors. No edits. No narrative, no edits. Yeah, we are really thrusting ourselves into obscurity with uh, these movies. We're like, why don't we do this movie and a film that literally no one can see? Yeah, well, that's kind of why I thought it would be cool to put these two things together. Um, because, so, uh, Koyana Scotsy actually like landed on my radar because a bunch of the indie theaters here have played it. Um, the Roxy played it. I think Balboa played it. And then it was recently also, obviously, at Draft House. And I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. What city are you in? San Francisco. You have a theater called The Roxy. Yeah. And a theater called Balboa. Balboa. Yeah. But my Roxy's an IE. Isn't yours a Y? Yes. 
yeah, so that's obviously the difference. Roxy mine's California IE. Yeah, mine's a Roxy, but the IE and the I has a heart. It's dotted with a heart. California. Okay. Well. So. <laughs> for our international listeners, San Francisco is not in Pennsylvania. No, it's not in Pennsylvania. All right. But uh, it's um, so this this movie was very interesting to me because in our in in my I don't want to drag you under the bus with me without your volition, but in my ongoing desire to. Um, I don't know, maybe it's secretly find a reason that all film is trash. Like maybe that's what I'm really searching for. Um, I'm trying to like find the key that goes like, wait, hold on. If this is the type of movie, everything else I've seen must be garbage. And so um, Koyana Scotsy is sort of like, as far as I can tell without doing on, on a very cursory glance, one of the highest profile non-narrative films and certainly the highest profile non-narrative film that gets regular repertory screening. Um, I've seen, there's another, there is another non-narrative movie and there's actually a whole slew of them by this guy that um, you and I have talked a lot about. Um, his name is Werner Herzog. He's done a ton of non-narrative stuff. Um, did you know that? What? What do you mean non-narrative? Yeah, he's got like a bunch of movies that are very similar to Koyana Scotsy, where it's just like he filmed like windmills and and water. It's you like know, windmills Warner and Herzog's water. And the movie people we talk about all the time. That's like I've seen the entire Warner Herzog catalog yeah. except for two movies, and no matter how many of more movies I see, there's always yeah. like. <laughs> now you're well, telling me has... it's even worse than two. Yeah, he has. So the thing that's crazy about Werner Herzog is that he basically has three entire bodies of work, like birth to death levels of bodies of work, because he has his narrative filmography, of which I think I've only seen half and I've seen 100 of them. And then he has his uh, documentary filmography, again, which I've seen all of and yet have I'm still like short 100 and then he has a whole non-narrative filmography. Most of them are shorter, so they like don't end up in the same lists when you're looking at them. But when you're in the world, and this is funny, this is actually going to bring us back to Koyana Scotsy, but when you're in 2022, when you're trying to find something to watch, and you're you or I, you're not just trying to find whatever random Kevin Hart bullshit gets like shat onto the internet. Mm-hmm. You're like trying to find a movie with like some substance to chew on. Value whether or not it's good, I don't care. But just something, something valuable to chew on. You know where you find that shit now? Like back when this all started, you would go to Criterion, uh, you go to HBO, you go to the green one, you go to the red one, you go to the blue one. You know, there's all these streaming services. Now the place to find say canopy, say canopy, say canopy. No, it's worse. It's fucking Tubi. Oh, oh no, you're a Dude. Tubi convert. It, no, I'm not. I hate it. But like, if you go on Tubi, that's where fucking Koyana Scotsy is sitting on Tubi. Oh, I, I watched it on Canopy. Neither one of us saw it in a theater, which is odd to me, given that I, it's... No, I saw, it, I saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater, but I saw it was on Tubi. Because uh, uh, I was worried that you weren't going to be able to watch it, so I checked. I have a library card. I can still... They still let me in at Canopy. Yeah. I don't get well, bounced. That's... That's fine, but I just think it's weird because also, back to what I was saying, Werner Herzog's non-narrative filmography, all available on Tubi. Yeah, Tubi is like, if you go to Half Price Books and you look through their bargain section, that's what's on Tubi. It's the like $5 bin at a, at a going out of business Sam Goody. 
Aren't there ads though? Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it's literally the bottom yeah, of the barrel, and yet it's some of the most like avant-garde cinema is where it's where it just like fuck it. I mean, like it hit every branch on the way down, and it landed on fucking Tubi. Tubi's interesting to me that people there is like um there's a, a sort of underground Tubi's the real streamer kind of uh, contingent, and I respect that, but. I value my life too much to watch an ad. I just won't do it. Yeah. I'll make an ad before I watch an ad. I just don't want to fucking be part of that. I just can't. I don't know why it makes me so angry. It just does. I won't watch an ad. This conversation is like the absolute most like banal conversation to be having and calling it a Koyana Scotsy conversation. It's like we're, we're, we're watching, we watch this like non narrative epic fucking meditation on humanity's relationship with technology and you and i are like ew there's ads on this streaming service i prefer the library all right well first of all i want totally missed the mark (laughs) i want you to know we didn't because we opened this conversation talking about that we could have paradise but instead we fetishize cars that's true and i feel like that's uh never does the movie hit home more than that to me Mm -hmm. you know just thinking about like these beautiful environments we could have and look, we could we could hit on that more, but I feel like um, I I don't know. Not that I don't want to piss anybody off, but there are some people who just won't get on the no car bandwagon, and you're already convinced. So who else do I have to talk to on this call? You know. Sure, that's fair. But yeah, the uh, you know movies can be anything, and that's really kind of powerful to me, and and helps blow open some of the. Uh, the cobwebs of like narrative form and structure and and really beyond that just like what do you make a movie out of mm-hmm. you know there's there's a large part of this movie that feels very very timeless to me mm-hmm. and actually all of it feels timeless until it ends you know i feel like it could keep right. going through decades or something mm-hmm. so you know it feels timeless in that respect but there's also part of it that's kind of like um the siren also very topical to this conversation. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm still, you know, I'm still getting used to how we do this show now. And if I was supposed <laughs> to like, I know, look. I can hear you. I, I'm, I'm hanging a lantern on it because I can hear you. I can hear you like hesitating. Like, wait, should I stop? There's a siren. Here's, here's where my brain is in these moments. My brain goes, uh, yeah, I should really edit this. I should really edit no, this don't show. Edit it. Don't do it. Yeah. No, nobody wants to hear a siren. I should really edit it. Originally, so the last time we recorded, I was sitting in my car on the street here, but it was like 7 p.m. on like a Monday or something. Yeah. It was very quiet in uh, in that particular space. And I went out there to not, just now when you called me, I was like, oh, I'll record in my car. And uh, and I ran out there and I, I don't live, I mean, you've heard, I don't live on the quietest street and it's like the middle of the day on a Sunday and there's just like fucking traffic. But again, it's just really funny. I think every the consequence of Koyana Scotsy after you watch it, like everything just feels like, oh, Koyana Scotsy. It just feels like a sort of like Schadenfreude, like a thing you say when like when like the existence of like modern civilization ruins a natural moment. You know, yeah, yeah, it just feels like an exclamation where you're like, like you're trying to get a photo of like a mountain and there's a fucking helicopter in the background. You're like, ah, fucking Koyana Scotsy. So, you know, the movie starts slow and I thought, oh, this is going to be the kind of movie that is going to infuriate me. And by the end, it's mm-hmm. ramping up like literally nothing's even playing at normal speed. You know, it's like time, nothing but time lapses. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful time lapses. 
I'm, there is a, a point along the way where I get more interested. And I think a lot of people might look at this movie and think that there's a cynical bent about technology or about man. Mm-hmm. And there probably is, given you know, what it ends on. We could talk about that. But I don't know. I was, I was uh, very interested, if you're doing something like a non-narrative form like this or whatever, you're, you build this roller coaster. That's this movie, right? Mm-hmm. You got to talk to like Philip Glass about this. I think that's how it, you know, he probably has as good a handle on this as anybody. You are building a thing with ups and downs, peaks and valleys. You're going to take people on a fucking ride. And it's going to have a climax to it. And then it's going to come down from the climax and kind of give you some time to really think about what you've seen and what's going on in the world. And then it's going to end on a, a fucking inner title. Mm-hmm. So it's a movie, mm-hmm. you know, it's got a whole arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as any other movie does, and it's edited to really have an arc, which if you're going to make a movie that's almost like, um, you know, looks like, oh, what did you just get this off stock footage sites? Of course they didn't. It's the 80s. They, you mm-hmm. saw what kind of computers they had, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Then the one thing it can bring is, you know, if I told you today I was going to make a movie out of stock footage, or you see like some of the... Um, like Spectacle Theater in New York or some of the micro cinemas that will make movies like out of other movies sure. and stuff. The thing you got to really bring is editing and storytelling. Right. And I think the product of that, what ends up being really interesting to me watching this, is I think a lot of people will have a different moment in it where they kind of get off the boat of humanity if you're following yeah. the, yeah. you know? So for yeah. me, when they start building buildings, I'm interested. I love... Mm-hmm. The origin, I like the story of how New York was built. I love architecture. I'm from Chicago. I like seeing people in little little windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fucking hate cars, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you think about, like, the shuttle blows up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hard moment. But I was telling you this earlier, um, sitting here watching this the morning of 9-11. Right. In, you know, downtown Brooklyn, which is just over the bridge from the World Trade. I can see it from my place. And thinking about, you know, the the reflection of that, it, like, it would not be hard to bring this movie up to speed. Although, fuck, that's even 20 years ago now. It's trippy. This is 40 years ago. But anyways, I guess this is my long-winded way of being like, where are you on or off the boat on the <laughs> on the human experiment on this movie? I mean, I don't know. I'm off the boat on the human experiment before the fucking before I hit play. But just to entertain your your question here, um, I mean, I you think, would you would agree that the movie has that bent, though, right? You would agree that oh, the yeah. movie is going look what humanity has done to the planet, basically. Sure, I don't think um, I don't think uh, there's ever a moment where um, you can make a movie. I just don't even know how you would make a movie that's not like a movie about this that's not saying that i mean what do you ever when when has any individual ever been like man the planet was good but like humans really capitalized on like this planet like we really improved shit around here yeah like i don't think anybody that way like like deep 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 down like obviously in a moment where like you know you fucking break your leg you're like oh thank god for modern conveniences i would have had to have my leg cut off well yeah everyone curses humanity till they have to go to a hospital right (laughs) um 
or you know until yeah but it's i think i think at the end of the day the the whole movie is is really trying to say there was so much like raw nature that inst- and, and that we took upon ourselves not only to tame but to castrate um mm. i think it's interesting you know when you when you specifically cuz one of the first things that i thought about in the beginning of this movie um two things but um the first the, the primary thing is when it's showing sort of like the mountains and the volcano type stuff all the like all the like raw like um the sort of like rage the inner rage that earth kind of has built into it the danger that's like cooked into the planet i just remember like seeing that and being like man before you know humanity like if you died you fucking died you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. I mean, you know, I I, got eaten by an animal, fell off a cliff. Jesus Christ. Like the futility, the futility of dying in the collapse of the Twin Towers versus falling into a volcano, dude. I don't know why that's so resonant for me, but just like at least if you fall into a volcano, it's like, fuck, man, like that's a death, man. Like you are. The planet has reconsumed your dust and... I don't know. It's just like, I think honestly, that was the point for me where I was just like, yeah, man, humanity has really sort of made a mess of, of life because I feel like now we die and it's like, poof, well, that person never really mattered. But I don't know. I feel like me personally, if I were to like fall into a volcano or be, you know, be eaten by a bear, I would be like, okay, this is earth reclaiming me. This feels, you know, it feels a little bit, I don't want to say substantial, but it feels like way more circle of lifey. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're seeing like the end of humanity in this. Yeah. So I, I just feel like, I feel like there's that, that to me was, was definitely one of the most interesting moments, but to go back to what you were saying also about sort of the editing thing. So I saw another movie, a movie that came out this year. Um, It's funny because Cleona Scotsy in my brain is a new movie, but it's like old as fuck. Yeah. It's from the (laughs) eighties. Right. But a movie that came out this year, um, have you have you heard of or did you see Fire of Love? I've heard of this, yeah. I yeah. saw some of the footage, I think, in... Well, some of that story was in the Herzog documentary prior yeah. to Fire of Love being, you know, a whole story about it. Yeah, so um, I saw Fire of Love and uh, the, the director, the filmmaker, the whole crew was actually based in Berkeley, so they were here. Uh, they did like a Q&A after the fact. And um, not to, I don't want to talk about Fire of Love, but I want to talk about how interesting it is to me that Koyana Scotsy and Fire of Love are essentially handed the same tools, right? Mm-hmm. A bunch of footage with no story. Yeah. And to go to, like you're saying, it's the editing. Koyana Scotsy is like, oh no, there's a story in here. We just need to cut it together. And Fire of Love goes, I'm going to have Miranda July do a voiceover and it'll give it some context. But essentially, it's the same footage. It's just video footage of volcanoes. So I just think it's really cool because that's one of the other things, man. Like, we've seen how many sh- I mean, we're going to talk about Memoria here. But we've seen how many fucking movies where you and I, even you and I, who agree on quite a lot of things, you and I will disagree on the minutia of what a movie is actually saying or doing or about. Yeah. But I don't know that anybody has that difference with Koyana Scotsy. I think there's one story. I don't think you could, 
I mean, you know, everything is art is to be art is to be uh, to to be taken subjectively. But I think I think that I would I would I would assume everybody I saw in the theater probably had the same thing going on in their head. Well, like, you, oh, yeah, you have to. Is- I mean, you're looking at nature and then it nearly, you know, smash cut to factories. Right. You're looking at the Grand Canyon and then bombs. Mm-hmm. But it's also not wrong. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the first time they do it, I'm sort of like, okay, all right, so here's where we're going to be like, humanity ruins everything. But these aren't made-up images. You know, if you're, if you're looking at Grand Mountains and then bombs and going, oh, cheap shot, I mean, how could you say that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is literally true. Right. I have a more optimistic take on this this whole, you know, on the movie's argument, but I'm probably wrong. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I can find my... I guess what's different for me about it is uh, I know at times it's trying to do things and the it it's having... Okay, so we get like these shots of people walking down the street in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, this wall of people. This used to be a very conventional shot, especially in the 2000s. You know, um, I forget what movie it is that had the, like, uh, it's been parodied so many times, but the the kind of, like, slow motion, staring into each other's eyes. Time seems to stop as all the people in the wall of the sea of people in New York, you know, go about their busy lives. Right. And so we've all seen that kind of shot. It's actually kind of a trick shot, right? Because it's like also long focal lengths to compress all the people. I think a lot of people <laughs> learned that during COVID when they were doing the beach shots. And then people would go to the beach and take shots with their phone and be like, these people aren't really this squished together. This is like kind of an optical, <laughs> you're almost doing an optical trick, but whatever. Point is, there, there did used to be more people on the streets in New York. And at the time this movie came out, yeah, great. There's too many people. The cities are too full, whatever. Mm-hmm. I fucking miss it. I miss yeah. I miss that I never really got that experience here because I've I have only had, you know, a night or two in New York pre-pandemic when Disposition played here and I came out for that. And that was even in Brooklyn, not in like Midtown where you would have seen walls mm-hmm. of people going to work. So, I feel like, you know, there are static shots in this movie of, of the buildings and the little windows and, you know, the great shot of the moon moving along behind it. Mm-hmm. And I find the shots of, of sort of cities to be deeply, deeply moving. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know that that's necessarily the effect, but I've always found, you know, like, we'll talk a lot on the show about uh, growing up in Chicago, but... Chicago was, like, it was also a lot of isolation. It was a lot of, um, you know, I liked being in a city because I didn't spend a lot of time out of my apartment. Right, right. You know, I was, like, toiling over things and whatever. I don't, you know, I don't really know what the excuse is. I'm awkward or introverted or lazy or depressed or whatever. But, you know, I liked that I didn't have to work hard to be around people. I still like that about cities, that I can get all the... I can get all the the people in my life of like any average person in the suburbs or, you know, a town of 20 people. I see more people than that a day if I try not to see people. Right. 
And so I kind of, it feels like life on a conveyor belt for me. It's a little easier. I don't have to go out of my way to get human interaction. And when I see those shots of cities with just little people and their little cubes, mm-hmm. you know, and their apartments or whatever, there is this, like, they're so melancholy to me because they're, they're, this is city life. It's so close, but it's so distant. You know, as we're on the phone now, out the window is another giant building right next to me that is just a wall of apartments. I can see all these people and everything they're doing uh, just across the street. And mm-hmm. yet I will probably never meet any of them. If I see one of them put up a fucking Joy Division poster in their room, I can't even go mm-hmm. over there and, like, say hi, you know? Mm-hmm. If we were perfectly matched to be friends with the people in the apartment across from ours, we'd, there would just be no way to... They might as well be on another planet. Sure. And that's a really, like, interesting part of city life that is so about what it is about that I can't disconnect from it and just look at a, a building, and a busy building in downtown L.A. or wherever in this movie and go, oh, there's so many people here now, they're ruining the mountains. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, uh, that's a good point, though. I actually do agree with a lot of that because I do think that the the, the natural habitat of the urban environment is, in some ways, a lot more valuable than, you know, some things. But you could do another version of this movie. This movie doesn't show us going to space. It doesn't show us on the fucking moon. Right. That it, that it's like, right. oh, here the moon isn't that nice. Like, yeah, we've been mm-hmm. there. Because, you know, we blew up a couple people to get there, you know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, we had to send a couple dogs into orbit that didn't come back. And, uh, you know, you could shade that. And I don't know. I guess I feel like I need to take a stand for humanity in this movie because it does do yeah. a pretty good job at a thing that is otherwise pretty self-evident to me anyways. I think ultimately what it comes down to with this movie, and, and, and this, is, this is to me maybe the true dichotomy of the film, is it's really showing how humanity has done has made so much progress in creating the value of the individual human experience, uh, but uh, how humanity has also, in doing so, rampantly just thrown away the natural human experience in creating these individual human uh, identities and experiences. Because, like, that's sort of what I think, to me, separates what you're saying versus what I think the movie talks about, which is that, like, yeah, I mean, I... And and to me, it's even different, because I don't want to meet the people across the street from me. I don't want to meet any people. if, if If somebody across the way from me has, like, posters of every movie I like and every night they're putting on the exact same movie I happen to be watching. I don't want to, I don't care. Like, what am I going to do? Go talk to them about the things? This is a big divide between us, I think. Uh, in all the years I've known you, I've, I've felt like this is uh, definitely an area we don't relate. Yeah, like, I don't, what am I going to do? Go over there and be like, hey, yeah, so I saw you watch Hatchet 2 last night. I also watched Hatchet 2. So that's the thing we have in common. Like, I can't, I, I don't, I garner more things from dissimilar people, I think. But anyway, my point is that that in in your idea, that person 
gets to become a person and an individual and you get to watch them be a person and, and, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't ever become inserted into their life or they into yours, but they are a whole person with a whole experience and they have value at an individual level. But what I'm saying is that this movie says, yeah, that's happening, but at the cost of eventually you just won't be able to do that because we're, we're ruining the planet, mm. you know? So that's, that's sort of what I'm saying is, is I think the success that you're touting, and I don't disagree, is that humanity has, has taken long strides since the primordial ooze of, of creating these individual human experiences that assign value to every individual life. Let's not get into the politics. Uh, but at the cost of the, the indefinite future of the overall human experience. Like we're, we put a, we put a expiration date on humanity, but what's nice about it is that everybody gets a cubicle to live in right now. Yeah. Well, the thing that makes me optimistic about it is I also feel like this is a very American film. Sure. You know, you don't, um, there, there could very much be an urge to not call that out uh, because it is, it's like, it's a meditative film. It's about the human experience. This is affecting all of us. We share one earth. But this is not moving images of South America. Mm -hmm. This is not moving images of an island. It's not even moving images of Europe. Imagine just doing this movie in Europe. Right. Imagine a movie with a country that had longer than a fucking 80-year history. Right. Just imagine that. Yeah. If you did this movie in Europe, the, the beautiful sweeping landscapes might be of, of the remains of castles. Yeah. Which, by the way, are fucking human-made. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, we skip huge parts of humanity in this. Not that the objective of this movie is to be humanity, but this is one of the awesome things of... A, a movie that allows people to sit and kind of conjure their own thoughts. Mm -hmm. While it has an arc, it doesn't have specific narration telling you, think this at this right. time. Here's here's what to cue sure. up. So, you know, you can, I mean, I find myself going at, at war with, with competing thoughts as I watch it. And I think for a lot of people, not being told what to think can be like very scary and angering. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I find it really refreshing that I... You know, you could you could just turn around and watch the movie again right after you watch it and just have a whole other conversation with yourself in your head. And this is part of part of what comes out of that is just thinking about like imagine watching this movie again and transplanting to another place where they have thousands of of years of real human history. You know, there are mm -hmm. places on earth that have thousands of years of history and uh, what the sort of, like, the technological progress, what lifted people out of that. I mean, if you want to make an argument about it, really what you would have to do, I think, is look at what's transpired in the 40 years since this movie's come out and really think about, okay, if the movie is kind of going, look at the destruction brought by man. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the atom bomb is a, a pretty powerful image. Just seeing a mushroom cloud. I mean, there was a time in my life where I was so moved by just seeing a fucking mushroom cloud that that was like a... I did a whole music video of that. Mm -hmm. So it's a captivating image. But, you know, we haven't had a mushroom cloud in a while. Uh, we have other, other technological pieces of dystopia that I've often uh, gone crazy about on the show. 
But if the movie was going, look, it happened in Los Angeles. It happened in New York. It could happen here. Right. Um, I'm not really sure that the urbanization has, uh, you know, I was just complaining in the beginning of this that I can't, I can't go outside and, and really swim in a wall of people in New York anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, not to dilute the cautionary tale element of this. I guess what I'm just saying is there's a lot more nuance to this movie than being like, oh, the perils of mankind and what we're doing to the earth. Oh, sure. Right. Um, if if you come to the movie thinking it's right, just you gonna, mean to say you mean to say, lo and behold, the reveries of the connected world. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> like it's, uh, you know, I did not come on here being all charged up to uh, to be pro humanity. I just sort of took a devil's advocate viewpoint and then thought about the mm-hmm. movie, and it allowed me that entire uh, that entire path too, which I think is kind of cool. Um, what do you want to do about Memoria? Have you seen it? I'm going tomorrow. Ah, fuck it. We'll just talk about it after you see it. Okay. Do we end the segments? I forget how we do this. Uh, For no. the purposes of uh, accurate bookkeeping, I'm hanging up on you. That could be an advertisement here. Instead, I'll tell you that there are hundreds of episodes available at patreon.com forward slash double feature. Um, okay, so I saw Memoria. I mean, sorry, you called me. Why are you calling me? <laughs> hey, this is, this is just mean? like real life. No one yeah. calls me and I call everyone else. Yeah, right. Okay, can we talk about the, uh, the theater thing with Memoria first? Well, so we have to. I mean, that's big part of, so when we're talking about Koyana Scotty, I feel like a big part of that conversation is like, the conversation is about sort of the movie and not the content. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Memoria is another film that is a lot about the movie. And I'm kind of interested to know how you feel about whether you think that the movie of it all overshadows the context of the film. Cause, cause the thing you're referring to with Memoria is that if you didn't see it in the theater, you didn't see it. Yes. What is, I right. want to know before I taint your perspective, though, what is mm-hmm. your understanding of the theatrical exclusivity of the movie? Theatrical exclusivity. So, I, so Memoria is a film. You got to yeah. go to the theater yeah. to see Memoria. Tell me about that. So the way that I, the way that I, so the way that I think it is, it is, um, the way that I think it is being presented is that there is one reel of memoria that goes in a in a MacGuffin fucking gold briefcase from city to city and plays in a theater for four to seven days. And if you don't see it, you'll have to wait till that one reel comes back around. And and maybe you'll have, maybe you'll never get a chance to see it because there's only so much memoria that can be playing on its video roadshow or what the fuck ever. But my actual belief is that there's like, you know, a million memorias and you can just show it if you want to, but you just like can't show it like within a month of showing it or something. And theaters, especially theaters like Alamo Draft House are just going to keep putting it out because it's probably like in tandem with their production company or some shit. Um, So you're talking about a roadshow. They've they've stolen this idea from uh, horror movies that don't have any money. 
Right. 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 <laughs> this is not yeah. a new. We pretend this is like, oh, what a remarkable new idea. Can you believe this? Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, didn't we have the same idea with Repo? Yeah. Well, but every, it is, everybody's it is a novel idea. It is. I mean, but everything in everything in the last two years has been about, you know, a lot of the big swings cinematically have been like, how do we get asses back in theater seats? And I think this is this is a new this is another play. The answer as we as we fundamentally know how do you get asses back in theater seats is just make sequels. That's what has worked. That's what continues to work. Make a, make a top gun, make a Batman, make a Spider-Man. People will show up. Yeah. Uh, but Memoria is definitely trying a different thing. It's basically being like, you'll never get to see it if you don't come to the theater. Yeah. So the, the way that I saw this originally build and I looked it up because I thought maybe I was crazy. But it was originally billed as it will never be in more than one place at once. And okay. it will yeah. never be made available for viewing at home. Uh-huh. So, you know, part of the idea of this was getting people back to theaters. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, any movie that comes out in theaters, uh, I mean, the, the typical idea was that it's got an exclusivity window in theaters Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened, and now there's sort of the release on both. Um, everything got fucked up. But we were really still pushing. There was, I mean, if you go back and listen to the shows that are on the Patreon, you can hear week after week or month after month when we're sort of assessing the moment of like, okay, COVID fucked up movie theaters. Here's how you see a movie now. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, okay, so these things are in, you know, these certain things are in theaters. Or I remember, okay, so I remember for a while, you know, we had that show with the Hunt and Emma. And yep. then theaters closed. And you couldn't yep. go to a theater for a long time. And then theaters opened and it was like, oh, my God, is it safe? You know, now it seems fucking silly. Right. But at the time right. it was like people were sending us emails being like, how dare you endanger grandma? by going to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. You don't have to send those emails again. I still got them. So if you're out there banging <laughs> on your keyboard, leave me alone. So Memoria is one of, I mean, and the blockbusters did, you know, this is Top Gun, right? It's like mm-hmm. Tom Cruise just like emerges from a groundhog hole every six weeks to like jump off a plane and try to get you to see Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Why Christopher Nolan's not jumping off a plane? I mean, that was really his mistake, I guess. That's true. Yeah. So Memorial. I think he would have to. I think he would have technically had to jump onto a plane, right, from the ground through a plane. It doesn't. I don't have a good Nolan joke. So yeah, (laughs) Memoria was the first movie I saw this year. I had been to the theater, like you know. I mean, I was part of like the, the. uh, I was very safe about it, and you know, always wore a mask and got my vaccines. Mm-hmm. But I was part of like an underground of people who just wanted to like, who was touch deprived, you know? So mm-hmm. I needed to go to the theater and just like be with people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Memorial was the first movie I saw this year because it was right in the, the pocket of like, oh, a thing that's just about theaters. That's absolutely me, absolutely right now. Sure. So I was really excited about that. And if I'm going to be excited about it, then 
Also, I think it's worth the record keeping just to note that at this moment, you know, that was in January. That was like, I think that was literally January 1st that I went and did that. At this very moment, Memoria is playing across the street from me in New York, and it's playing in San Francisco. <laughs> so, yes. yes. And this isn't like, oh, some theater broke the day. Th- these are both draft houses, you know? Right. Which is neon. So it's like, mm-hmm. clearly they decided at some point. I mean, they have kept the, it's only in theaters, though. I don't think that that's really going to hurt them much. You know, I I saw a thing, we're already we're working our way to the question I asked at the beginning of this conversation, but I saw that thing on the internet where Matt Damon was like, when we used to make money off DVDs and now we don't when now you have to make bullet train. Um, and it, was that a response to a question about why he's hawking NFTs or was that something? Yeah. Else? <laughs> something like that. Um, but, uh, it you know so I don't necessarily think that while it is still cool that Memoria is an in person live event situation in perpetuity potentially I don't think it's like they're not taking any risks or hits by what not putting it on fucking Blu Ray or putting it on Paramount Plus for free well yeah I mean the other movie we talked about is in theaters constantly and it's from the eighties yeah you know so yeah this is especially Draft House can do this where they have routine programming or they pull something out of the vault and they kind of know you know Mm -hmm. some amount of people are always going to come see this so to have an exhibition style movie I think makes sense I don't know if it never comes out for home viewing but I just don't think it needs to I don't think it matters well it but anyway continue what I was going to say is it changed my thinking going into it I think. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would have thought normally. But, man, you know, you're going there and then there's, like, the um, the stuff they were showing uh, prior to the movie starting. But, really, I spent the whole time thinking about environments. Yeah. And every time they went somewhere, you know, it also draws your attention to the sound design. So that's mm-hmm. that's probably I do think environments are a part of the movie. I don't think I'm just thinking about that because we have the theatrical environment piece. Mm-hmm. But we get um, every every new location we go to has a kind of signature, and we spend time in them. You know, in yeah. in like wide shots, basically. Yeah, that's 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 one of the things that was like one of my big takeaways that I didn't realize it like taught me something about my like cinematic viewing habits. Mm. Cause that's the other thing that I think is really interesting about this being in theaters only is the audience that it finds. Because like if, if I've, I've got a bunch of, you know, film buff type friends who just will watch most of their shit on streaming. And I feel like if they were to watch Memoria, they wouldn't get as much out of it because I think that, so like I've been to the, I'm seeing, I'm see- I saw Memoria fucking like yesterday and in that amount of time, like within a two week period, just to give you an idea, you know, I probably saw some fucking superhero shit. I saw Barbarian. I saw, um, Pearl. I did like a Pearl and X double feature, mm-hmm. like all of these things. And, you know, I, I did probably go see Top Gun again. It just keeps happening. But, um, every time he jumps anyway, out of a plane, you're like, I guess I can yeah. watch that again. 
And so you're watching Memoria, a movie whose pacing just like begs you to scour everything for clues. And it like opens on a new scene in a new setting, right? And and nothing is going to happen for like, I mean, and this is not an exaggeration, at least a solid minute, if not two. It will just be a static shot showing you the room that this scene will take place in with nothing else going on, just the environment breathing. And at first in the movie, it would do that. And I would like, I, I like sort of go into panic mode. Like, what are the clues? What am I supposed to learn from this? What are yeah. yeah. And like halfway through the movie, a little less, I start learning to expect the long shot of the setting. Mm-hmm. And so instead, it, it basically like, it was like a palate cleanser for my cinematic viewing habits because instead of panic to try and see everything, the movie goes, yo, just, just watch it. It's fine. We'll show you everything. And so like, I mean, it's in a really good way, but it is the longest two hour movie I have ever seen in my life. Oh yeah. It includes a nap in the movie. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but it's definitely like there'd be scenes where it just shows you the frame with, with the whole setting. And I'm like, I'll just stare at it. And I'm like, okay, so there's a light there. Uh, but the thing that's interesting is I'm actually, by the time the scene begins, I still haven't, it, I'm like learning as the scene, you know, I'm uh-huh. thinking of the scene, I'm thinking of the scene where she's like in the library studying at the table. Yeah. And it's just this long static shot. There's like a guy walking over by some shelves, a bunch of people at a table, another guy sort of like walking around. Maybe he's like a custodian or security. But I'm watching this scene. It it opens. I'm like, oh, the lighting. Oh, there's some like weird slats in the ceiling. Oh, cool. The ceiling lines line up with the lines of the shelf. And like 30 seconds go by. And then I go, oh, shit. Jessica's in this scene. I didn't even notice her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like you're the movie is basically like you need a minute to just take in this boring ass fucking shot I'm showing you. This is like, uh, you know, when I shoot an interview. Yeah. You know, you, you go in and you set up the room and you do as much set design and lighting and just like kind of try to fucking paint the room the best you can. Yeah. But once the camera starts rolling, you know, the interview is happening. And as the operator, I am just staring at the shot that I composed for sometimes like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> just going like, ah, fuck, I should have moved that plant a little bit. <laughs> Is this light a little too harsh on the left? And it, it drives you fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. The idea of sitting in a room like that is, it's just not how movies are. You know, movies move around. And especially right. modern movies. I mean, we all know that about the editing and yeah. the pace and it's changed and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But... I think you're right on the money. I mean, even uh, Tilda Swinton's character is like, the way she plays this character, you know, she spends a lot of the movie meditatively standing, staring at a painting, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, walk into a room, look at it, hold up a skull, look into the skull, poke Avoiding it in the foot. Avoiding a feral dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... She, but she also has, I thought it was so funny that you talked about panicking and sort of going, oh no, what am I supposed to do? Because there is an element of this movie we're not talking about, which is kind of the plot element. Right. The sort of like right. a woman wakes up to a sound only to discover no one else can hear the sound. 
that the sound is not happening in her house, that nothing is making the sound that she is hearing. Yeah. And that it just seems to start appearing randomly. And I think that we only see her break a few times. We mostly, you know, watch her lay in the grass or whatever. But I do get the sense that she has this kind of like, um, it's not even like low-grade anxiety, but that there is a, there's a, an anxious panic in her. Sure. That, you know, she is going calmly through the world, and that's how she operates, that's how we view her. Mm-hmm. But that's not really, you know, whether it is on her mind at that moment or not, there are scenes where I am watching her, like, have an internal panic. There's, there's, I can think of three off the top of my head mm. where she is actually, like, utterly terrified and just, like, going through chaos internally. But I, as a viewer of Memoria, have been lulled into the, <laughs> into the, the place that the movie wants me to be. Yeah. So, like, instead of panic, I'm like, huh, I wonder what she's going to do with that information. I wonder yeah, what right, she's right. going to do. I wonder what she's going to do with the information that this guy that she's been hanging out with for the first half of the movie doesn't exist. This yeah. would be an interesting. You We're know, trying to or, carry or, on dinner when the other people in the scene have no clue. What's yeah. Go, like, what a fucking contrast that scene is. When, when the grown up Hernan actually, like, sleep dies. Uh huh. That's a moment for me where I feel the way she feels, where he like goes, he's like, I don't really sleep. And then she's like, we'll do it. He's like, okay, I'll do it, I guess. And he, he's like, kind of like, this is weird, but I'm going to do it because you asked. He lays down and fucking dies. And then I'm sitting there. And at first I'm like, is he sleeping? Is he dead? Did he just die? Was he ever alive? Was he dead this whole time? Does he exist? Did she kill him? But yeah, you know? you, it, and then it has it, and to then go on long enough shots, to be like existential. But that's yeah, right. Then it changes shot. At first, you're just kind of showing him, mm. and then it changes shots to her sitting next to him, and the look on her face is, "Did he die? Did I kill him? Yeah, yeah. Is this my fault? Yeah. Is this how this all ends? And it's it's amazing. Like those moments are amazing. Well, this is the real tie between the movies to me is allowing an audience to sit there long enough to have their own thoughts for real, you know, and to real like the adventure that an audience goes on staring at a person who is not moving for what seems like it's for a a year infinite. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and everybody goes on their own journey with that scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I watched that scene and, I, I, went on, I went on multiple journeys. I mean, a lot of the stuff you were talking about went through my head. I'm also at one point just thinking, like, how are they practically filming this? Sure. You know, there are movies where someone dies, and that's sort of the old, the old fucking audience joke. is like, oh, yeah, I can yeah. see them breathing. So, you know, to do shallow breaths and to try to be a corpse, like, that is a particular skill. Mm-hmm. And so for somebody to do it for so long, I'm just like, are they freezing part of the frame is stuff? So I'm analyzing, you know, is grass moving around? Like what's going on here? There's a piece to all this that I'm, I'm actually, I want to know how it went down with you because you saw it so much earlier than me. Um, There's a piece to this that I think was really bizarre, which is that I'm watching Memoria and about halfway through the movie, I become very aware of the theater that I'm in. How do you mean? 
I'm just, you know, like there's, there's enough breath in the movie where it, it, I don't want to say it like takes me out of it, but I have the time to think about me being in this theater and think about all the other people in the room with me. And I start going, do they all hate this? Like, oh, is sure, anybody, sure. are people is who is there's like, cause I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, there's gotta be somebody in this room that didn't realize this is what they signed up for. And like anytime somebody gets up to go to the bathroom, I'm like, oh, there goes one. Oh no, she's probably just going to the bathroom. But it's just it's it's really insane how um, the movie just like forces you to just have this inner monologue, and you're just like very aware of yourself. And then the movie basically goes on to say, stop paying attention to yourself. That's like the, it, that's like the true dichotomy of the movie is it's like built in a way to like bring you to this place of like, like meditation internally. And then the messaging of the film is like, stop talking, get over yourself. There's way more going on. I mean, I and think, I'm like, I'm think, like, I know, but you're giving me nothing. We've probably invoked the word meditation often enough to talk about this a little bit. But this is one of the things that meditation really changed for me in going to see movies. Yeah. So I don't want to start sounding like uh, Dave Lynch giving you like a, yeah. a weird <laughs> cult seminar here or anything. Sure. Right. But yeah, in a, you know, in an attempt to not take my own life, I started meditating among many other uh, changes that are, believe me, just barely working. Yeah, one of which is talking to you on the phone instead of recording a proper <laughs> show. But that one's working pretty great. Uh, so yeah, I started meditating and a big part of meditating is staying in the moment and being mm-hmm. conscious of that. And so this is always true when I'm at the theater, but almost never while the movie's playing, regardless of if I am a pigeon sitting alone on a branch reflecting on the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with Memoria, when I got to the theater, you know, I'm sitting down, and this is, I mean, I love this. This is one of the reasons I encourage people to meditate. Now it is turning into a cult seminar. You can use my yeah. uh, coupon code on bluemeditate.com. Right. God, I hope that's Casper not a meditation. real, yeah, real <laughs> website. I'll have to censor it out. Um, but when I go to a theater, I am constantly, I get there super early, first of all. Yep. Uh, which whoever goes to the theater with me hates, but I do. And if they won't yeah. go early, then I make them get their own ticket and I go early. Yeah. So, you know, I'll be there a full 30 minutes. That's as late Absolutely. as I'm going to arrive. Agreed. And I want to be in the theater first and I want to stare at every human that comes in and clock, mm-hmm. like, who they are, what are they doing, what do they think yep. about this. I'm totally um, with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. <laughs> so, this is, oh, this is good. We can get real weird because usually I don't yeah. tell people yeah. about much of this. Yeah. But, yeah, so I'm thinking about the audience a lot. At this screening, I also remember this one very specifically because this never happened at this theater before or since, even at the Q&As that they did. But in a very, like, uh, Lynchian, you know, like, dancing on the car during the fucking climax of Blue Velvet type move, people are coming in. And there's little couples and a couple older people, a lot of 20-somethings, you know, like mm-hmm. very sort of um, film school kind of crowd. I don't know, letterbox users, people with Brooklyn hats. I don't know what the, the people there were. Mm-hmm. You know, that beanie, that beanie Brooklyn look. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right, right. This was in Manhattan, but we have trains. You know, they can travel. So 
everybody's coming in. It's pretty normal. We're looking at this thing. I pick up a little chatter here or there. But the moment I remember, the person dancing on the car I remember, is when a person who works at the theater comes in. Now, bear in mind, this is January 1st. This is New York. We are very safe and sensitive about COVID here, especially, you know, that early in the year. And so everybody's, you know, masked and had to show their card and stuff. But a person from the theater comes in holding some big poster or something and walks to the front of the theater, says nothing, has a mask on, right? Mm -hmm. Says nothing. Stands up in front of everybody in the, you know, the, the center of the screen as um, we're all just kind of piling in. And like, like uh, you know, like the, the stereotypical kind of girl during the boxing match mm-hmm. holds up this <laughs> sign that says, wear your mask. And then just sort of like shows it to everybody, pivots left and right. For like kind of a long time, like yeah. <laughs> the, the theater's not that big, right? It's yeah. eight rows or something. Yeah. So it just keeps going on. And we're like, we're just feet away from this person. So it's very strange. There's so few of us that it's sort of like, who's the teacher talking about in class here? Right. And then uh, leaves and then does it again about 10 minutes later. Weird. So that was that was the last thing I remember before the lights went down, and then I was yeah. uh, completely and totally sucked into the environments. I just felt like people didn't know what they were going to see, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was the only one who hadn't seen it already. Yeah, because once the credits rolled, like two people like hopped up and ran out. Like finally, the credits, and I'm like sitting here, like, well, listen, we don't know if Nick Fury is going to add Jessica to the Avengers, guys. So we got to sit this out. Yeah, I'm the insufferable person who I do not leave until the last credit has rolled and someone basically makes me leave the theater. Right, the countdown starts. Which they especially hate at the draft house because their their new mandate is like they will put you into a dumpster as they are cleaning the theater right. when the <laughs> second credit rolls, you know. Yep. Yeah, you don't get to like yep. script supervisor before they're like mm-hmm. plowing stuff into the bins. Yeah, it's funny. Draft House, I feel like one of the things for all for all the things that I love about them, I I used to uh, you know think, oh man, I wonder if there's like a post credit scene to this movie. You can tell at Draft House one hundred percent of the time if there's a post credit scene because when the credits roll, if the lights don't go up immediately. <laughs> Uh, there's spoiler. more movie there's more movie it's to me like, there's always like, a post credit scene because I'm waiting to see what countries uh, you know government shelled out cash <laughs> to right. get their logos right. at the end of the movie <laughs> that's the post credit scene I'm waiting for yeah. the answer is Georgia it right. is always Georgia I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, waiting to see if Romania is still the place with the good grants you know yeah there you go oh my god <laughs> alright we, we've now descended into um Things that literally no one else, including myself, care That's about. Okay. So we've exhausted all. I look forward to talking to you uh, later, even if it means sitting next to you while your lifeless body is on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don't fall asleep during the grass <laughs> scene in Memoria Challenge. All right. I will uh, talk cool. to you in a bit. All right. Bye. Bye. This show brought to you by the executive producers of Double Feature. Arnold Bath with her, the executive producers from the patron, patron.
Tom Leonard Kerr, Ross Mahler, Henrik Dinder, Lauren Shaw, Ben Eckert, Charles Crawford, Jeremy. If you like the show, help to keep it on the air by joining patreon.com forward slash double feature.